Hey, this morning, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy 3. And uh, the last couple of weeks, last week, this week, we're just talking about the church and, uh, and the different positions in the church. Last week, we talked about deacon ministry, and today we're talking pastoral ministry uh, and the life of a church. And I uh, heard a story about a little boy uh, uh, that when he left church one Sunday, he was in his car on the way home. And uh, he was talking to his mom and dad in the front seat. He said, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a preacher. And uh, mom and dad was like, really? Uh, why do you want to be a preacher? And uh, little boy said, well, I figure I got to be in church on Sunday anyways, and it'd be a lot more fun to stand up and holler than sit down and shut up. And, uh, and so there's a lot of times people think, you know, what does a pastor do? What does it look like? What does the ministry look like? And uh, this morning, I hope that we can pick up some of those questions uh, that are oftentimes asked. The Bible does give two different <clears throat> positions in the life of the church, uh, two different offices for the New Testament church, one being deacons and then the other one uh, being pastors. And so today we're talking about pastors. There's three different words in the New Testament that addresses the same office. When you're talking about pastors, uh, you'll see three words, and what you do is you look at those words, and it kind of helps us uh, understand a little bit about the roles, responsibilities of, of pastors. One would be bishop. When you're talking about bishop, pastor, pastor or elder, or presbyter, the bishop is just general oversight uh, or overseer of the church. And so uh, when you're talking about the church, one thing you have to remember is what is the church? Well, the church is, is, is the bride of Christ. And uh, when you're talking about the bride of Christ, you ought to take seriously the responsibility of oversight and leading the bride of Christ, understanding that one day you give an account to God for your oversight and leadership and the life of a church body. That's a big deal. Uh, I'm married to Bonnie, been married now for 30, what year are we in, 21? 31 years this December, and uh, 31 years this December, I had to do my math real quick, but uh, man, I, 31 years, and uh, she is uh, my heart. I love with every fiber of my being my wife, and I'm grateful to God. Suppose I were to leave town and say, hey, uh, I'm going to be gone for a little while. Can you make sure you take care of my wife? Uh, I would hope to God that you would take that responsibility seriously. Uh, and when, when, when I were to come back, it would be, I would want to know, how's it going? And, uh, and so it is with the pastor, uh, is, is the pastor would be a bishop, an overseer. Uh, he's also an elder, which is also the word presbyter, which means uh, 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 older. And, and sometimes people look at it and say, well, you got to be an old man to be a pastor. And he's speaking not just age, he's speaking spiritual wisdom. Uh, wisdom. And, and by the way, spiritual wisdom and biological age are not synonymous. Sometimes people think, well, they're one and the same. And, 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 and that's not true. That is not true. Uh, uh, you can be a fool at any age. And uh, uh, it, it, it's, not, it's not automatic just because I've got years. But he's talking about spiritual wisdom. And, and, and so, in fact, the Apostle Paul was writing in, in the book of Timothy to Timothy, uh, by the way, and he was writing to Timothy who was serving as a pastor who had been mentored by the Apostle Paul. And most people believe that he was somewhere around the age of 30. We're not exactly sure, but he did write and he did say, hey, don't let people look down on you because of your youth. And uh, he wasn't talking to a 12-year-old. He was talking to a man that had been mentored and serving in the pastoral position. And he's just simply saying, hey, make sure you take care and don't let folks look down on you because of your 
youth. And, uh, and, and, then, and then the word pastor. What is pastor? Well, pastor means shepherd. Uh, shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Well, a shepherd, a shepherd will lead a flock. A shepherd's gonna guard a flock. A shepherd's gonna uh, feed the flock. That's what a shepherd does. When you're talking about a literal shepherd, what does a shepherd do? Well, he takes care of the sheep. He, he takes care of the sheep. He makes sure that he leads them to green pastures. He makes sure that he guards them from attacks. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the job that you do. And you do that as a, as a body collectively, but you do that as well individually. And it is a great, great responsibility because when you're talking about who you're accountable to, understanding completely. In fact, you, you bet, make, sure, make sure whenever you do have a pastor, whether it be in this church or another church, make sure that they understand their calling and they take it seriously. It, it means that I'm giving account to God not just for the decisions we made collectively, but even on an individual basis. How did I handle the sheep individually? And that's a difficult task to do, overwhelming at times. Why in the world would someone want to serve as a pastor? That's a good question. Why in the world would you want to serve as a pastor? It's addressed in this passage of scripture. First Timothy chapter three, we're gonna pick up in verse number one. And the Bible says this. <clears throat> It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above approach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And then it goes on from there. But why would they call? Number one, because of the call, the call of the pastor, the call of the pastor. And when you're talking about a pastor, I know that today you will find a lot of different people serving in positions that are entitled pastor. But when you're talking about a biblical New Testament pastor and, and that position, that position is a position that, that the New Testament limits to men. Uh, the Bible says if, if any man aspires to the office of overseer. In fact, when you're talking about positions within the life of the church family, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a man to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain uh, silent or quiet. And so when you're talking about what's happening here, he is not talking. Some people have a hard time with that. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, he's not talking about giftedness. He's not talking about significance. He's just simply saying that there are positions to fill. It's a team. And when you think about a team or a family, there are positions uh, that we all must do. And, 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 and when he's talking about the office of pastor, he's saying that it's reserved for men. Again, we're all equal. Galatians chapter three, verse number 28. The Bible says it like this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Some people look at that verse and say, well, see there, we can do whatever we wanna do. But I would say, well, look to the pastoral epistles 
for further instruction when it comes to the office of pastor. The office of pastor is reserved for, again, men. And so what men? Those who aspire to the office of overseer. It is a fine work that he desires to do. To aspire means to take steps to reach after, to take steps to reach after. In other words, when you're talking about a pastor, uh, there's a calling that goes with it. What's the calling? He desires the work. He doesn't desire the position, but he desires the work. And there's a major difference, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, uh, between desiring the work and desiring the position of pastor. In fact, I would, I would suggest that there are many people, not many, but there are a few, uh, that would say, that would enter into the ministry and quickly leave because they don't desire the work, but the position. And, uh, and, so, and so when you're talking about this desire, where does the desire come from? I believe it comes from the Holy Spirit of God. It's a calling that he puts on a life. They aspire means that they take steps towards the calling, the desires that he puts on the heart. What does that look like practically speaking? Well, what that looks like practically speaking, I'm just sharing from my own personal experience. I set out in life to coach college baseball. That was my, what I really wanted to do in my life. And, uh, and, and, and I was serving. I was serving uh, a, a church in Malone, Florida. It's a huge metropolis just west of here. And uh, I was serving in this church over there. And, uh, and God started to do a work in my life where he was changing the desires of my heart, where my lifelong dream was to coach college baseball. And, 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 it, and it would have been, if I could have chosen, it would have been to be coaching at Chipola Junior College. And in 1996, I had the invitation to coach at Chipola Junior College granted to me by the president of the college. But God, but God changed the desires of my heart. He put on me a desire for the work that he called me to do. And so I didn't take the position. Instead, here I am. You say, you should have gone that direction. <laughs> but it's a calling. And it's, and it's a great weight with the calling. In fact, Michigan State professor of organizational psychology, his name is Rick Deshawn. He did a study of pastoral ministry. He said the pastor's work and activities are highly varied, taxing and fast-paced, unrelenting and often fragmented. The breadth of tasks performed by local church pastors coupled with rapid switching uh, between tasks and clusters and roles that are prevalent in this position is unique. And I've never encountered such a fast-paced job with such varied and impactful responsibilities. The same study a different professor, Matt Bloom from Notre Dame, talked about the toll of pastoring. He said it's costly in terms of cognitive effort, behavioral control, and emotional regulation. <clears throat> it's a calling, it's a weight that goes with it that's invisible, uh, that you'll never know unless you're serving in the capacity. And when you're talking about emotionally, to, to, to be able to get up and go to the birthing of a baby and then turn around and do a funeral of a loved one and then go and counsel and do mid-marriage counseling and post-marriage counseling and working with younger people that are struggling with family issues and parents struggling with family issues and then be prepared to preach with a clear mind and a pure heart. It's a 24-7, 365 day a year calling and wait. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, the Bible says it like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 16, for I, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
And he's just simply talking about this calling, this passion that I can't help it. I just have to do what God Almighty is calling me to do. But he talks about the weight. The Apostle Paul talks about the weight. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. And the Apostle Paul's writing, and he says this, are, are, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so, and far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. The Apostle Paul's just simply saying, hey, it's been a difficult task. But in verse 28, he says, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. It's a weight and it's a calling. And when there's not a calling, by the way, when there's not a calling, <clears throat> it's evident. It's evident. Just watch. What does it look like? What is it evident? You'll find a man who's a clock watcher You'll find a man that says, man, I'm gonna watch the clock, make sure I'm home when I need to be home. When the fact of the matter is, there's a, there's a calling on your life and it ought to be 24 seven. Now again, you say, don't you get burned out? I think you can, I think you gotta be careful with your time, but at the same time, you get, if, if there's a calling, you say, man, whatever it takes, I'm gonna do. Whatever it takes, I will do. By the way, when we're looking through these we're looking through these qualifications as we walk. I would suggest to you, because some people say, well, that's what your calling is. I would say, we're, pretty much all of us are called to the same standard. <laughs> Just got to make sure you're there when you're pastoring along the way. <clears throat> lack love. They lack love and no passion for what they do. But then he goes on from the calling in verse number one to talk about the qualifications. And so in verse number two, and there's a whole long list of qualifications. And so in verse number two, he says, an overseer then must be <clears throat> above reproach. Does that mean perfect? Absolutely not. Above reproach and nothing to take hold upon. What do you mean nothing to take hold upon? It means that their reputation, if you were to describe a pastor, if you were to describe a pastor, you wouldn't be able to say, <clears throat> well, he's a liar. You know, uh, you wouldn't be able to say, well, uh, 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 he's flirtatious. You wouldn't be able to say, well, that's the, that's the general reputation of this guy. You'd say there's nothing that can take hold of him. He's above reproach. It doesn't mean he's perfect because none of us are perfect. But it just simply means if you look at his life, he's not gonna have a reputation that's ungodly, however you wanna define that. And so he's above reproach. Why does he need above, above reproach? Because he needs to have influence. He doesn't need to be the cause for other people's stumble. Because a lot of times what we do, and by the way, this is not just limited to pastors, but I'm just simply saying we need to all understand the weight of our influence in life. Other people will justify their actions based upon what you do more so than what you say. And so they've gotta be above reproach. And then he says in verse number two, continuing on, a husband of one wife, the husband of one wife, and he's not 
addressing, as some would suggest, polygamy here, because if you're talking about polygamy, they wouldn't even be a member of the church, much less a pastor of the church, even uh, back in the first century. And so nothing, when you're talking about uh, marital faithfulness, that's exactly what he's talking about, marital faithfulness. So one woman, man, I mentioned last week, when you're talking about, it doesn't mean that the office of pastor is limited to, to married men. Uh, he's not forbidding single men from serving. And so when you're, again, when you're looking at this, you got to understand what is he talking about here? He's talking about not just marital status, but rather marital faithfulness, marital faithfulness. Is he a faithful in his married life? Is he a one woman man? And by the way, by the way, do you know, because a lot of times what we do is we look at something objective rather than subjective because we don't want to judge things. And so who am I to judge anybody along the way? And so he says, hey, make sure that you're examining, examine this fellow's faithfulness. I believe this to be true. I didn't mention this last week because we talked about the same subject last week and uh, with deacon ministry because the same is true with deacon ministry as well as pastoral ministry. A one woman, man, faithfulness in marriage. You can be married. Hey, you can be married for 65 years to the same lady and still not be a one-woman man. Praise God for forgiveness along the way. And we're not talking about being forgiven, but we're talking about consequences to our actions. Proverbs 6, verses 32 and 33, the Bible says it like this. Proverbs 6, verses 32 and 33, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. You know, when you're looking at ministry, when you're looking at pastors, the, the, the two major pastoral flaws that end up shipwrecking people from ministry would be finances and females. That's the two major, major issues that people struggle with along the way. And, and I'm grateful to God for my wife. I can stand here and say I'm a one-woman man. Now, having said that, let me just share with you, and, and I would say I'm thankful to God. I'm thankful to God for people who respect that. And, and again, I'm not just talking about me, and I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm talking about married men and married women. I would suggest to you putting up guardrails in your life, guardrails in your family life, guardrails in your married life. I don't do counseling one-on-one with women. I'm praise God for my wife. She's my helpmate, and she comes alongside of me. You say, are you worried about these women? You think you're that hot? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't. But I believe there's spiritual warfare, and it's not because I don't trust the women. I don't trust me. God help us to set guardrails in our lives and not think more highly of ourselves than we ought and end up shipwrecking ministry and embarrassing the family. On this issue, on this issue, whether right or wrong, I have prayed, dear God, please, I pray that you would take me home prematurely then let me embarrass the family of God and your name. And so when you're, when you're saying, well, you need to call me, you need to come talk to me, you need to resolve issues with me and you're a woman, please, please. Help me. I'm guarding the ministry. Y'all all right? He's temperate. The Bible goes on to say he's temperate. What do you mean temperate? What I mean by temperate is 
sober-minded, to be sober-minded, able to keep your mind clear in all situations, not an emotional roller coaster. You know, because what happens to us along the way in life is if we're not careful, our emotion can override our reason and we make bad decisions. When our emotion overrides our reason, we make bad decisions. And he's saying, hey, make sure that you don't have an emotional roller coaster serving as a pastor. Does that mean that he's not an emotional man? That's not what he means. He's saying just be sober-minded. <clears throat> you know, when you're talking about things in life, there are those things that I want to do, but I don't need to do. <laughs> and he's saying make sure you use good reason. Make sure you're sober-minded along the way. Because if we're not, if we're not temperate, then what we can do is, is damage the church body in great ways. One of, the, one of the ways you can damage the church body when you're not temperate, when you're not sober-minded, is get emotional and use a pulpit for a whipping post. You ever seen that done? I mean, I hope not here, but I'm just saying. <clears throat> you know, you know one, of the, one of the reasons why, in fact, one of the reasons why uh, I'll even preach through books of the Bible is simply because uh, uh, I don't know exactly what's happening in the life of the church body along the way, but oftentimes it's so timely. I mean, the, the message from God's word, and you don't ever want to get out there and say, you know what, <clears throat> man, he ticked me off this week, and I'm gonna address that this Sunday morning. <laughs> That'll kill the church. That'll kill the church. But to be temperate, to be prudent, he says in verse number two, to be uh, prudent. What do you mean to be prudent? It means not flippant or frivolous with decisions, the weight of decisions along the way. To take time. In other words, to be prudent means, hey, I, I need to examine all of the factors before a decision gets made. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can make frivolous decisions. In fact, a lot of times you get pressed. And, and, and I would just say to the church body, uh, to me specifically, I would say this, uh, please, don't, please don't ask me to make a decision on a Sunday morning because I make terrible decisions on Sundays. <laughs> I really do. And, uh, and, and, and so to be prudent means, means I need to examine all of, of, of the factors. Why? Because a lot of times if we're not prudent, we make premature decisions that are costly along the way. Because with decisions, with decisions, especially if it's decisions to make change, do you know that there's always casualties to change? And so you have to be careful, you've gotta be prudent. Uh, and, and, and you've seen, I'm sure you've seen churches where you'll have things that happen in the life of the church and, and, and prudence, prudence means that there's a middle road that you're to travel. And sometimes if you're not careful, you'll find a ditch on one side of the road and, and it's like, we need to fix this. And rather than examining and thinking through all of the different angles and the interconnectedness of every decision that's made, in other words, you can make a decision for one area of ministry, but can I tell you something that's not an isolation isolated ministry in the life of a church family. You better think about how that decision is going to affect the senior adults. Just because it's over here in the little preschool area doesn't mean it's not going to impact others along the way. 
And so you better be prudent with your decisions, taking time. It's interesting, man. I, I went to a church, I grew up in a church where even their bylaws, sometimes you'll see in bylaws, you'll see things in bylaws and it's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And the reason why they go there is because they're not prudent in making decisions and they swing from one ditch to another. Uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper table, you know, we gotta keep the Lord's Supper table front and center. And if you do move it, 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 it can only be moved, if ever, it can only be moved from that position to the window that's on the southeast corner of the front of the worship center. What in the world is that about? You know, what that is, it's it's an overcorrection of an issue that did happen along the way that was legitimate, that a decision needed to be made. But rather than thinking through ramifications of the decision, you weren't prudent. And so he's just saying, hey, make sure that you're prudent along the way. To be respectable. What do you mean to be respectable? Uh, the word for respectable simply means orderly, not chaotic or spastic. Uh, not chaotic or spastic. Sometimes when I preach, I get chaotic and spastic. But uh, uh, it, it means this. It means to be orderly. Why, why, why is that necessary? The reason why that's necessary, you ever tried to follow somebody that's chaotic and spastic? It's difficult to follow. And you know what will happen to a church when you have a pastor who is not respectable, who's not orderly, who's chaotic and who's spastic? You know what will happen? Every time they shift, every time they shift to a new direction, they're cutting out members along the way. And they wonder, what in the world, why does the church continue to fall in our numbers? Well, it's because you're spastic in your leadership. He says, make sure that your pastor's not spastic. Make sure he's respectable, consistent, along the way. <clears throat> Make sure he's hospitable. Verse number two, uh, still, <laughs> this is a long list. Verse number two, make sure he is hospitable. What do you mean hospitable? It means to love strangers. That's what the word means. It means to love strangers. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes we look at being hospitable as entertaining friends, and that's not what he's talking about. The word literally means to love strangers. And so what you have to do is to be able to make a stranger feel very much welcome when they're around you. And, and, and that's, what, that's one, of the, one of the jobs that a pastor does. And I praise God. Can I just share with you sincerely? Uh, and, and all of us need to be hospitable. Again, this is not just limited to pastors, but the pastor needs to be that man that can do these things. And so when you're talking about being hospitable to make a stranger feel welcome, I'm thankful to God for a church that understands that that's part of what we try to do. Me and my wife are constantly, you know, we're constantly reaching out to new faces and I pray to God that you are too, but that's part of our responsibilities. And so sometimes people say, man, well, I thought you were super friend. I thought you were just gonna be my best friend and along the way, and, and, and here's the deal, man, please release me to let me be hospitable. We just don't spend time together anymore. There are new faces every week. How can you be hospitable if I'm tied down to saying, hey, here's my bud? That doesn't mean I don't want to spend time with you, by the way. It really doesn't. And it doesn't mean I don't want to be friends. I wish I had more time to hang. I really do, because that's one of my spiritual gifts. (laughs) To hang. But to be hospitable. Verse number two, he's got to be able to teach. He's got to be able to teach. I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than a boring preacher. I heard a story about a pastor, and uh, his son was observant. He was watching him every week. 
And, uh, and he asked his dad, he said, Daddy, <clears throat> how, come, how come when you're walking up, you always bow your head real quick before you, before you preach? Why do you do that? And he was just kind of like, wow, man, my son's paying attention. And he said, well, you know, I, I bow my head real quick just to ask God just to help me preach a good sermon. And the little boy said, well, why doesn't God ever answer your prayer? <laughs> Able to teach. <clears throat> Able to teach. It's a gift from God. When you think about what your job and what your calling is, major, major, major portion of your job as a pastor would be teaching. And when you do teach, when you consider who you're teaching, you are teaching everything from little bitty elementary age minds to PhDs and everything in between. God help, help, gift that man to teach your word. Not addicted to wine, verse number three, not addicted to wine. He doesn't spend time <clears throat> with the wine. I mentioned it last week, several reasons. There's a lot of reasons and we could go on and on and on forever. <clears throat> Cause others to stumble. Cause others to stumble. Impacts your effectiveness in ministry. Clouds your judgment. Well, I'm at home. Well, what if you got a phone call in the midst of your drinking? Can I, 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 I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot. Sometimes you have to be careful what you say and how far you go with it, but it's interesting. Prayer requests and things we pray for and things we pray about. On our prayer sheets, we've been praying for a specific family for years, for years, for years. And uh, so last week, had a chance to be out at a restaurant with my wife, ran into a woman that we hugged, we prayed for, and uh, she called yesterday, yesterday. I'm at my wit's end. Alcohol's destroyed my family. I've embarrassed my children. But when you came in and hugged me, speaking about my wife, you gave me hope. If we lingered with wine and said, hey, come over and let's drink together, you lose the effectiveness in ministry. Not addicted to wine. Not pugnacious. You know, when I saw that word, I was thinking about that little dog with a smashed in face, not pugnacious. I had to look it up. So what does that mean, not pugnacious? <clears throat> means not a striker, not one given to blows. <clears throat> Responds cool and collected. You know, <clears throat> why is that in board and not pugnacious? Because sometimes in my heart, I just want to deck somebody. <laughs> because you deal with a lot of people along the way. And you deal with a lot of people that are gifted in a lot of ways. And one of the greatest gifts that many, 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 many people like to exercise is the gift of criticism. And when you mess with my children and when you mess with my wife, you can't lose it. You can't lose it. I mean, I mean seriously, there, there are times, 
We all, we all struggle with these things, don't we? I mean, I mean, you have to know. I, 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 love, I love sports, man. I love sports. Grew up playing sports. My boys played sports. I coached for a while, and then I realized, you know what? I can't coach anymore because I'm not supposed to be a striker. And that didn't, that's not striking out. I'm, y'all okay? I am not perfect. He's supposed to be gentle and peaceable. Verse number three. Gentle and peaceable. How, how, how can you be gentle and peaceable? To be gracious and to pardon and to forgive. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about the church and um, I, I don't like to talk about the church a lot of times in negative ways, but we are within the body today. There are those listening online, but I'm just saying the church can be a place that's filled with some ungodly things that happen, ungodly people that, that come along and present themselves in ways that you have to deal with, not quarrelsome. There's always something to argue and fuss and fight about. You gotta focus on what the calling is. God help us. You know, you know I tell you what helps me. <clears throat> this is just for me personally. This is just for me personally. And, and, and again, these pertain to all of us. How can you maintain that? You, you know, when, when, I'm, when I'm around people that struggle, you know what I try to do is I try to see me in them. I try to see me and my relationship with Jesus Christ in them. And most of the time I can see me. When I think, how in the world could they be so stupid? You ever had that thought? I know how. I know how. Because I'm that man. God help me to see others in a healthy way. Free from the love of money. Free from the love of money. Why is that? Because if you're not careful, all of a sudden you start thinking higher of yourself than you ought and you start prostituting your ministry. Who might pay me more? And you'd be surprised what happens along the way. I mean, sincerely, I, I, I had a church call and their closing line to me was, we will double your salary. And when I heard that, I felt cheap said, I know where I won't go. Don't try to buy me. <clears throat> Free from the love of money. Verses four and five talks about his household. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? To manage means he has authority over his house and, and, and he wields authority in his home. He's the captain of the ship. He's the captain of the ship. In other words, when he goes home and when he makes decisions in the home, uh, uh, he is the ultimate decision maker and the, and the family knows how to respond properly to authority in the home. And so, and so when you're talking about a pastor, how does he manage his house? Does he, do his kids give him the look or does he give the kids the look? How does that work along the way? In other words, when you're talking about raising up children, does that mean that at the end of the day, you're gonna have perfect children in the pastor's home? No, <laughs> that's not what it means. It means that he is managing his house well. It means that he is the captain of the ship. 
he is training them up and they do know how to honor and he does it in an honorable way. It doesn't mean that he's there and he's going to uh, do it in a dishonorable way because there is a way that you can, there is a way that you can say, uh, I'm the ultimate authority, which you are, and you can choke the life out of a child. You've got to be able to manage the household. And it's difficult. I'll be honest with you, before God Almighty, there have been many a nights when I have laid in my bed with my wife and, uh, and, and started writing out resignations, but I haven't felt a release from ministry when you're talking about struggles that you have in the home. Y'all got struggles in the home? Mm, you got to be able to manage the household. Well, how can you manage people if you're not managing the home? Got to be mature. Verse number six, and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And, uh, and so when you're talking about mature, Proverbs, over in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18, in Proverbs 16, verse number 18, the Bible says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. In other words, when you're talking about pastoring, if you're not careful, <clears throat> if you're not careful, you know, it's, it's always interesting because uh, what, 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 kind of, what kind of comments do you pay attention to? A lot of times we're quick to disregard criticism because they don't have a clue what they're talking about. But when somebody says, you knocked it out of the park, it's like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> and, and, and you can become haughty. And he says, hey, don't make sure you got somebody <clears throat> that is mature in their faith, further down the road in their faith. Good reputation, verse number seven, a good reputation and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And uh, respected that he doesn't embarrass the family, that he doesn't embarrass the family. <clears throat> Why? Because you, you influence people. Isn't it interesting how you can form an opinion about something or some organization based on one individual? I mean, seriously, it happens along the way. <clears throat> Like, like for me, uh, I personally, I, it just is what it is. I despise South Carolina, you, you know, USC, the Gamecocks. And if you're a Gamecock, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> but we were playing baseball in South Carolina, and one, one, one Bubba Redneck put his feet on my bat, and it really just messed me up. And uh, one person, one person, gave me distaste for the whole school. And I know that's wrong on me for feeling that way, but uh, why is it important that we have a good reputation with those on the outside? Because of the influence that you carry. And that's true of every believer, that's true of every family member in the church, but it's especially true of a pastor. Man, I know that guy, I'd never come to that place. God help us. So it says these qualifications of pastor. How do you respond to the pastor? <clears throat> There's a couple ways. First Thessalonians, over in First Thessalonians, the Bible says it. Chapter five, verse 12 and 13. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse number 12 <clears throat> and 13. And the Bible says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. 
And then in Hebrews 13, verse number 17, it goes on and it says this, Hebrews 13 and verse number 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this will be unprofitable for you. And finally, I would say, how else do you respond to the pastor? I would say you pray for your pastors. You pray for your pastors. How do you pray for your pastors? Clean hands, pure hearts, courage to preach with great clarity, wisdom to know how to invest their time in a godly manner. There's a lot of ways that you can pray for your pastors. The church who practices God-given positions and respects those is the church that experienced so many blessings of God. And God help us along the way. God help us along the way. Maybe you're here this morning, you know, sometimes along the way, God does move and God does work. And maybe you're here this morning, you'd say, you know what, I, I feel like God's been calling me in that direction. He's, he's putting a desire for the work of God and he's putting it on my heart. And maybe you're here this morning, you'd say, that's, that's where I am. I would invite you, man, respond to his calling if you're here this morning. This is all about pastors today, but, but, but let me just say this in closing, because I think the most important decision you can make is this, to be a child of God, to be born again. The only way you can be a Christian is to be born again. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There ever been a time in your life when you recognize, man, I, I have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And I know I can't fix myself I can't clean my sin, but Jesus Christ paid the price for me on the cross. And I wanna ask him to forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of all unrighteousness, and I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. And you repent of your sin, and you turn to Jesus Christ. Ever happened in your life? And if it, if it hasn't, I wanna invite you today. It's not about joining a church, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And I would invite you to come today. We're gonna pray. And after we pray, we'll sing a song. After we sing a song, I'm inviting you if you would come today. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, for your many, many blessings along the way. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. And God, I thank you for the church, your bride. We are your people. And Father, I thank you for allowing I know for me, just the privilege to be a part. And God, I pray that the bride, Father, would be pleasing to you in all things, Father. I pray for our pastors today. I pray that you would guard them, guard their ministries, fill them with your spirit, bless with clarity and courage, with wisdom. Help them, God. Father, I thank you again for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.